Would you please turn in your Bibles to Mark? We're going to finish chapter 2 today and get into chapter 3. Mark 2, we're going to begin in a moment. I'll read verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. And I've been showing you a chart for the last few weeks showing the section that we're in. There are actually five different accounts, five short stories describing controversies with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders who are finding fault with Jesus and what he's doing and what his disciples are doing. So that first one, there was a point of conflict in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 over the forgiveness of sin. And then eating with sinners later in that same chapter. Then we talked about fasting, eating with sinners and then not fasting. Jesus and disciples did not fast according to the standards of the Pharisees. So that was where we left off last week. We had covered those three. Lord willing, we're going to cover the fourth and fifth today, both of which are related because they have to do with the Sabbath. So this is the end of chapter two. The disciples were plucking and eating grain on the Sabbath. And then in the first part of chapter three, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. So these are opportunities that the religious leaders are picking on him, finding fault with him, and we're going to discuss both of those today. I'm going to read this passage. Hopefully you've had a chance to find it. So would you stand with me, please? I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 23, through chapter 3, verse 6. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. And they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Then he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill. But they kept silent. So when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you that you are Lord of our days. Matter of fact, you know how many days each of us has. And even with Moses, we would pray, Lord, that you would teach us to number our days, that we would obtain a heart of wisdom. Lord, we ask that you would help us once again this morning. That you would help me that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower me to teach your word, that I would be accurate, 
that I would be clear. And Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts eager to listen. Lord, that you would use your word in our lives today to change us. We believe that your word is alive. We believe that this written word that we have in our own language are your thoughts that you want us to read and understand. So we ask it that your Holy Spirit would help us to avoid distractions this morning, that we would be able to focus on you, on the message that you have for us, and that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding in how we need to apply it to our own lives. Please accomplish your will, and we will thank you for the way you work in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you've done any study at all in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, then you understand that the Sabbath was a big deal. What is the Sabbath? Sabbath means rest. It was celebrated, commemorated, observed on the seventh day of the week, Saturday. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, they had very specific ideas on how they were going to observe the Sabbath. Here's what Warren Wiersbe put in his commentary. The Sabbath was cherished by the Jews as a sacred institution. It was something you couldn't mess with. It was something that they had down pat. They were going to do it the way they believed it should be done. The traditions we were talking about last week and we'll continue talking about. God gave the people of Israel the Sabbath after they came out of Egypt. And it was a special sign between Israel and God, Jehovah. So when Jesus began to openly violate the Sabbath traditions, it was like declaring war on the religious establishment. We read this and ho-hum, we don't really think about Sabbath and, and not the way they did and not observing it the way they did. Oh, it was a very big deal to them. I have two main points, two main ideas for you this morning that I'd like you to consider as we look at these two sections. First, human need trumps religious tradition. And if any of you are not familiar, any young people don't know that word, it means wins against, takes over, is more important than. It trumps religious tradition. What kind of religious tradition? Well, we're going to talk about that. Number two, doing good is always right. It's not right on Thursday, but not on Saturday. Doing good is always right. The book of Acts talks about Jesus and says he always went about doing good. That's what he did. Everything he did was good and right. And that's what he's going to do in the synagogue on the Sabbath, regardless of it being the Sabbath. So go back with me, please, to verse 23 of chapter 2, and let's dig into this. Now it happened, kind of the equivalent of our once upon a time, now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. So any of you who have or have had small children, you understand. You go on a little trip, it can be a trip to the grocery store to get food. But you need snacks. You're going to need snacks. You're going to need water. These are the things that you're going to, that's what's going on. They are walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath. What grain fields? Well, probably barley or wheat, one or the other. Some of this is going to tie into what we talked about in our study in Ruth because there were many grain fields surrounding the area. So they're somewhere probably near Capernaum. We don't know for sure. And they're going through the grain fields. 
what do you mean they're walking through the grain fields? Well, we've talked a little bit about the Roman roads. They were great. They were straight. They were stone or marble. They, this isn't that. These are paths. And if you've ever been on or around a farm, then you understand that there are paths or little dirt roads usually that go around the fields. And same thing here. There would have been walking paths either through the field or on the edge of the field. Or maybe they're walking between two fields. I don't know. But they're walking along the path and they're hungry. There weren't vending machines and there weren't fast food restaurants. So instead, the disciples begin to grab handfuls of this ripe grain and they rub it together, Luke tells us, and they begin to eat the grain kernels. Nothing wrong with that. It may appear to us that something's wrong with that. The issue here is on the Sabbath. I underlined that on mine. On the Sabbath. So what is Sabbath? Sabbath means rest. It is based on the principle that God rested from his creation. I have the verses on the screen. I know these are familiar to you, but I just want to establish this. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3 says that thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. God created the world. He finished his creative work. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Was it that God was tired? No, he wasn't tired, but what had happened on day six? He created the land animals and he created man and woman. We have Adam and her name later will be Eve. So the man and the woman are there and the first full day that they had on earth seems to be a day that God rested and fellowshiped with them. He enjoyed communing with them. We read just after that in Genesis, that he would come and walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. So what's happening? We get to the seventh day. God has finished his creative work, and he is spending time with his children, if you will. He's spending time with Adam and Eve. This is for refreshment. This is for enjoyment. This is for fellowship. That's the beginning of the idea of Sabbath. It, it's not with Moses. We're going to talk about him in a minute. But it goes all the way back to the beginning. There was no command that we know of to Adam and Eve that every seventh day we're going to do it this way. We, we don't know. But God certainly established a seven-day week and that on that seventh day he rested. That's the principle there. We'll come back to that. So God rested from his creative work on the seventh day. Then we get to the Ten Commandments and he makes it part of the law for his people. I'll read it to you in Exodus 20 in a couple minutes. But what had happened since it became the law for the people of Israel is that they had added to it and they had added to it and they had codified it and they had made it as complicated as you could possibly make something. And it had become a burden rather than a blessing. For example, part of their tradition is that in order not to work, you can't go more than a certain distance from your home. So from your home, the front door, let's say, of your home, you cannot travel more than 3,000 feet because to do so would be a journey that would be work. You can't do that on the Sabbath. So that is a Sabbath day journey you will sometimes see references to in the Scripture. 3,000 feet. They had different ways that they could expand that and, and 
little loopholes and things. I won't even spend time with that. But wherever Jesus and his disciples were, and wherever they're going from and to, it must have been a short little distance because we don't see any of the religious leaders picking on them for how far they're traveling. They would have maintained that rule of 3,000 feet. It says his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And as I read that, I think, okay, is this a problem? Are they allowed to do this? Can, can they steal the grain like that? And the answer is, no, it's not stealing. And yes, they absolutely can. Because as we first read this, if, if this was the first time I'd ever seen this passage, I might think, from my knowledge of the Old Testament, oh, this is the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. They're going to have a problem with these, these guys who are taking grain from somebody else. No, that's not it. Do you remember when we studied the book of Ruth? They were supposed to leave the corners, the edges of their fields unharvested so that others, the poor in particular, could come have something to eat. Same thing, we're seeing it play out here, is that the disciples are walking through the field. It was okay. If you, if you want to look at it, it's Deuteronomy 23, 25, says that I can use my hands and pluck some kernels of grain, some heads of grain, no problem. I cannot bring in a sickle. I can't start harvesting somebody else's grain and taking it out. I can't bring my bushel basket and, and just take all I want. But it's no problem for me to have a snack. It'd be kind of similar, I guess, if you were if you had permission to do this and you could just, you're walking, walking along a road by an apple orchard or, or some other fruit, and I, okay, I'm going to pick one, I'm going to eat one. That, that was what God had established. It was okay, it wasn't stealing. It was totally within their right, if you will, to eat some of the grain. So what was the problem? The problem is the day they were doing it. If they had done this on a Friday or a Sunday, the religious leaders wouldn't have cared. But it says very clearly in that first verse, it was on the Sabbath. Verse 24. And the Pharisees said to him, who are the Pharisees? Let's review. I know some of you, this is old information, but they're, they're religious leaders. Some of you young people or your younger siblings may, may have read the Jesus Storybook Bible, and that refers to them as the extra super holy people, or at least that's what they thought. And to me, that, that sums it up really well, the extra super holy people. They were the most influential religious leaders of that day. So they had a lot of power, if you will. Not political, political power, but religious political power. They had a lot of clout. And here they are popping up again. And when I say popping up, I don't know what the situation was because they just kind of appear all of a sudden. Some of you young people especially like to doodle or you do drawings of the sermon. So go ahead, if you'd like, you can show me afterward of these guys in robes who are using their periscope or their spyglass and they're, they're down in the field watching for Jesus to mess up. For Somehow they're there. Somehow they are there. And they just, they say, the Pharisees said to him. So what did they say? Look. And they probably said it something like that. It, it was not a, hi, how are you today? It was, what are you thinking? It was that kind of statement. Look, what, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? See, they've gotten their nerve up. We already saw in the case of the paralytic they were thinking, how dare he say that he could forgive sins? They were just thinking it. And then Jesus went and was eating with tax collectors, Matthew and company, and sinners. And this time they come and they're offended 
but they talk to Jesus' disciples and say, why does your master do this? And then, why does he not fast? Those kind of questions. John's disciples ask that one. Now they, they've got their nerve. They're going to talk to Jesus and say, your disciples are out of line, and you need to do something about it. That's, that's what they're coming to him about. Now, I have a little box in my notes around what is not lawful, because that's what they're accusing Jesus of, doing something that is not lawful. They say this is against what we can do on the Sabbath. So here's a novel idea. Let's see what the Bible says, okay? That's what Jesus is going to instruct them to do. Have you not read? So this is Exodus 20. This is the fourth commandment. Beginning in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So remember that seventh day. Keep it holy, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, set it apart. This is not news to any of you, I don't think. That's the fourth commandment. It's kind of long compared to some of the other ones. There's a lot of information there. God is establishing, putting into law, what he had set up way back there in the first week. He created in six days and then he rested. So for his own people, the people he's going to make a covenant, a special promise with, the children of Israel, he is saying, I want you to take one day out of seven and set it apart for me and don't do any work. Why was that meaningful to them? Where had they been for the last 400 years? They had been in Egypt. What were they doing in Egypt? Were they on a sightseeing tour? They were slaves in Egypt. And I don't know for sure. I don't mean to argue from silence, but how many days do you think they got off while they were in that 400 years of slavery in Egypt? I'm going to guess zero or really close to it. So God is coming to them, and part of the Ten Commandments that he's giving through Moses is, I want you to take one day a week, and I want you to pause from your work, and I want you to spend time resting and worshiping me. And that's what he's asking. And that was going to be different from the people. Because remember, he, he's given them the promised land. He's going to give them the promised land. And that's going to be different from the other nations that are around them. Because are they going to take a day off each week from their farming? No. So obeying this law regarding the Sabbath as an Israelite required faith. That God's going to provide for me. Because guess what? It wasn't just every seventh day. Every seventh year, they were supposed to let their land lie fallow. They weren't supposed to farm at all, and God was going to give them enough in the sixth year to last them through the sixth and seventh year. Faith. Now, those of you who know the Old Testament history, how did they do at that? Do you think they did very well? No. We know that God took them into captivity because of idolatry, but what we read about, I should have looked up the reference. I'm sorry, I don't have it off the top of my head. He says, you did not give me my Sabbath years. So I'm going to take them, and I'm going to send you into captivity, and I'm going to let the land lie fallow. They had disobeyed in this area, the one that's such a big deal by the time we get to the time of Christ. They didn't obey. I don't know whether they truly honored every seventh day, but they did not take the seventh year and, and the 
the, the returning of the debts and things in the year of Jubilee and so on, there was a lot there. So by the time of Christ, we've gotten to 39 acts that are strictly forbidden as work on the Sabbath day. What did, Jesus, what did, what did God say to Moses? Do no work. And that wasn't enough for them. They wanted to know how not to do any work. We, we want to make sure that we're keeping it. So we've got to codify this and make this as complicated as possible. So there weren't a lot of specifics in Exodus 20, and they filled in the details. They filled in the blanks. And by the time we'd gotten here, like I said, it was a burden. It was what one person described as religious bondage that had captured the nation. You say, that, that's fine, Bob. That's, that's nice history. Thank you for sharing that. What does that have to do with our passage? Well, in the eyes of the Pharisees, what were the disciples doing? They were harvesting grain and they were threshing it by rubbing it between their hands. Somebody else had come up with as many four, as four things, like food preparation would have been illegal also. All these laws they're breaking just by having a snack on the Sabbath day. So what is their beef? What are they coming and accusing Jesus of? It is not lawful for them to do this on the Sabbath day, right? So I have a new word. They could not have said honestly that this is not lawful, but they could have said that this is not traditionful because that's what this is. He is violating or allowing his disciples, I should say, to violate their traditions, their oral law that they had passed along. Now, how does Jesus respond to their accusations? I think that's interesting. Does he start arguing with them over the finer points of the law? No. Does he defend his disciples? No. <coughs> Instead, he tells them a story about King David. So look at verse 25. He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. I love it when Jesus asks them, have you never read? Because that's what they would ask if, if Joe Schmo comes up to me and says, what does the law say about such and such? I, as a Pharisee or a scribe, would say, well, haven't you read? Well, they didn't have easy access to the scripture, so they probably had never read. I have read. I am an expert in this. So what does Jesus say? Have you not read? Of course they had read. That's not really his point. He's being a little sarcastic, I think. Have you not read? They had read it. They probably had memorized it, but they weren't applying it accurately. They weren't taking the word and applying it to their lives. So what is at stake here? This is the written word versus oral tradition. He's pointing them back to what does it say? What does the written word say? Not what do the rabbis say? Rabbi so-and-so says this, rabbi so-and-so says that. No, what does it say? And that's important. Anything I say, compare it to what the book says. Anything anybody else asks you, tells you, compare it to what the book says. And that's what he's encouraging to do. Have you not read what David did? Well, what's going on? You can read about it if you want to in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. 
David and his companions were on the run. They were fleeing from Saul. To give you the time frame, David has already been anointed king by Samuel. He is the rightful king, but he has not been crowned yet. He has not become the, the recognized king. And he is, his companions are on the run. And he comes to the tabernacle, which at that time was at Nob. And he says, we need some food. We're going to starve. We need help. And the priest who was there asks them some questions and then gives them some of the consecrated bread. Now, this is a side note, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because some people will come to this passage and say, see, Mark messed up. There are errors in scripture because the name of the priest who gave David the food was Ahimelech. And here it says what? Abiathar. There are various theories. The one that makes the most sense to me that I'll share with you is from Warren Wearsby. And he said, it's likely that our Lord used Abiathar to refer to the Old Testament passage about Abiathar rather than to the man. This is the way the Jews identified sections of the word of God because their manuscripts didn't have chapters and verses like we do in our Bibles. So later in the book of Mark, Jesus is going to reference the burning bush passage. Moses said in the burning bush passage, same idea, that in the days of Abiathar the priest, David went to the tabernacle, so on and so forth. You can chase that down a little bit more if you want to or ask me later. But Jesus is talking about an event that they would have known very well. And so what he's saying is that David, who was the rightful king, but who wasn't recognized as the rightful king, is there with his companions, and they're hungry, and they get this showbread or bread of the presence. What was special about that? There were 12 cakes that were put out on the Sabbath each week in the tabernacle, one for each tribe. And they represented God's presence with each of the tribes of Israel. <coughs> each Sabbath, they removed the old and put fresh bread, fresh cakes. And do you know what happened to the old cakes? Only the priests could eat them. So that's where they broke the law. They, David and his companions broke the law by eating that special bread. And the religious leaders couldn't argue that. The fact is, they did break the law. And I doubt anybody through the centuries since then had made a big deal. Can you believe King David broke the law? There are other things they could talk about and did about King David breaking the law, but not this one. Nobody, nobody seemed to have a problem with it, including these guys. So what is Jesus teaching here? One other parallel that I think is interesting is that Jesus is the rightful king who is not yet recognized, and their beef is with his companions. So there, there's a parallel to David and his companions and Jesus and his disciples. But what Jesus is doing is showing that human need, as John Corson put it, always has priority over religious ritual. The law is fulfilled in love. When Jesus was summing up the law, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up the law. To love sums up the law. So if my rigid execution of what I believe is the law is not being done in love, there's something wrong. 
either I don't understand it right or I'm applying it wrong. There's something wrong because the spirit of the law is love. And either Mark made a statement here, an editorial statement, or I think Jesus went on in verse 27. He has a second statement for them. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. They had it upside down. They had it backward. When God gave the fourth commandment and said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, it wasn't to give them a burden and to give them a bunch of rules to follow. It was intended to be a blessing to them. Remember, they haven't had a day off in 400 years, so to speak. I want you to take one out of every seven days and take time off to rest and worship me. So is it a blessing? Is it a burden? It was intended to be a blessing. They had made it into a burden. So that first point, that's where we are kind of in the story right now. Human need trumps religious tradition. And he went on in verse 28 to say, therefore the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, just like in a couple stories ago, so that you'll know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to let this paralytic get up and walk away and carry his bed. And he's putting an exclamation point on it again, saying, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He's making himself God. Please don't miss that. He's saying, I'm in charge. I get to make, I get to interpret the rules. And guys, you've got this wrong. Now, some of you have to be wondering. He keeps talking about this, taking a day off every seven days and, and rest and worship. So what does he believe? It is seemingly, it seems like it's increasingly popular, people who want to take us back and observe the religious rules and make the Sabbath day and the feast days and, and the fasting day and the dietary laws and, and everything else and just take us back into Judaism. It's been popular in all the centuries since Jesus walked the earth. I am not saying that we are bound to keep the Sabbath day. I do not believe that at all. I believe that the fourth commandment is part of the ceremonial law that Jesus did away with. Put an exclamation point on that when the temple veil was rent. You have access to God. You do not come through the sacrifices of lambs and goats any longer. Why? Because the sacrifice had just taken place. We celebrated it earlier in the service that the Lord's Supper represents his body and his blood. He was slain for us. And that did away with all those laws of dietary and do this on this day and that on that day. I don't believe we have to follow any of that. But I do want to make two applications. One is practical. And that is that the idea of our bodies needing rest didn't start with the Ten Commandments. It started with the seventh day of that first week of creation. So don't get all dogmatic. Don't get bent out of shape. Don't get tied up in your traditions. But whatever your work schedule or retirement schedule or school schedule may be, you need rest. You need to set aside time on a regular basis for some sort of refreshment, different from your normal work day, and an opportunity to spend time with God. Most of us, and those of you who are here today, you're not working, you're, you're here, 
So you're doing that together on Sunday. But that, that's both private and corporate, I believe, that we should be doing both. That we should gather with other believers and that we al- should also set aside at least chunks of time, if not a full day. I wish I were better at this, doing a full day. My wife is nodding, yes, amen. To, to make time. Our bodies need that. If, if you think, no, I don't need a day off. I can work seven days a week, week after week, month after month, year after year. No, at some point that will catch up with you and your, your body will let you know that you can't do that because God didn't design us to do that. So practically, I think we should observe some scheduled rest. Do we need to be dogmatic and have 39 rules about it? No, we do not. That's not the point. Spiritually, though, that's practically. Spiritually, I want to make another application. You can turn there if you want to. This is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Paul's writing to the Colossians, the people who are teaching false things in the church at Colossae are saying, no, you need to go back and you need to follow all of the rules of Judaism and the new moons and the Sabbaths and everything else and you just need to do it that way. And what is Paul teaching them? Uh-uh. No. Don't let anyone judge you for these things. They are, what does it say? Verse 17. You have it on the screen. What does it say? They are what? A shadow of things to come what is the substance christ so please get this christ is the fulfillment of the sabbath and all the ceremonial law maybe you've never thought about this before we don't normally think of the sabbath as a person well yes in a sense he is and and we actually spent a whole sermon on this in the book of ruth didn't we talking about the rest that we see in Old Testament and New Testament. Because the rest was supposed to be refreshment and fellowship, relationship with Jesus Christ. And what do we have here? He is the fulfillment. The substance is Christ. Where are you getting that, Bob? Brian, I'm warning you, I'm skipping way ahead. And I would like to show Matthew 11 on the screen, please. Sorry. Um, yeah, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. You guys know this. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who labor, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Same word, same idea. Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. This is what Jesus is teaching. Find rest in me. Where were they trying to find rest? We're going to keep all of these rules and we're going to do it just the right way and God's going to be happy with us and that will feel restful. That's not how it worked. Since, since I'm totally changing the plan at this point, just hang with me another minute. We're, we're going to do only half of this today, okay? One of the rules is that you could not kill a chicken to eat it on the Sabbath day if it was an egg-laying chicken. 
If you kept this hen so that you could collect eggs from it every day, you couldn't kill that. However, if you were raising chickens to slaughter them, to eat the chicken, I said that wrong. You couldn't get the egg. That's what it is. All right, I'll get it right. Do you see how complicated this would be? So let me try again. You have a chicken, it lays eggs, you can't collect that egg. You can't eat that egg on the Sabbath day because that would be working. However, if you were planning to eat that chicken, you can eat its egg on the Sabbath day. You, you can take it and eat it. So if you take our tax code, that to me is very complicated, that's kind of what they had done with just this one of the Ten Commandments, Sabbath day. God said, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And they said, this is it. This is our ticket to religious paradise. And what they had done was made everybody's lives miserable. Note, you've walked too far from your house. Note, you ate the wrong chicken. Note, you, come on. And I don't mean to make fun at all, but if you go to Israel today and you go into a, an apartment building or a hotel, there are Sabbath elevators that will stop at every floor because you can't push the button because that would be work. They're still practicing elements of this, modernized. And they're slaves to it, in a sense, which is so sad because the spirit of the law that was given was freedom and rest and refreshment. That is the heart of our God, that he desires for us to find rest in him. So I'd rather leave you wanting more because that went a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. So we're going to say the second point in the second half of this, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, for next week. But know that human need trumps religious tradition. So if something that you think you should do or shouldn't do, because that's the way we've always done it, if that's going to prevent you today or this week from serving somebody, loving somebody, encouraging somebody, you need to stop and pray that through and think, okay, do I have something wrong? Because... My God has called me to love my neighbor as I love myself. And I can't make it all about keeping that rule if it's going to keep me from loving my neighbor. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Have you found rest in Jesus? They thought if they kept the rules well enough, if they kept the rules often enough, that they would make themselves acceptable to God, and it just doesn't work that way. So are you depending on Jesus and his finished work for your salvation, for your relationship with God? I hope you are. If there's anybody here, if there's anybody online that that doesn't describe you, that you're, no, I, I think I've been trying to keep the rules to make God like me. Come to him today. Pray to him today. Find rest in him today. He invites us to come. Has the Lord spoken to you about your schedule, about your priorities? He desires us to find rest in him. He desires us to make time for him. 
to gather with his people, to rest, to worship. Does that describe you? Is there some area in which you have been putting religious tradition ahead of people? Souls that God created. If so, you repent, you start again. Lord, would you please continue to apply this to our lives, that we would understand what you want us to do with these truths and that we would get it right. Lord, we could be, we can so often be like these Pharisees and think we've got it all together and, and we are your favorite people. When in fact, we're paying attention to the wrong things. So give us a greater love for you Give us a greater love for others around us. And help us to find our rest in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.